the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, we are back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I know you were saying Ellswick will be back at 6 a.m. i got to be ready for the show. Yeah, you do, because today uh, we are full uh, with great uh, guests to join us today. Uh, we're going to talk about, start by talking uh, an issue that I've been talking about for a long time. I've always told you over the last 15 years, I've thought that, the press was moving uh, towards uh, reporting fake news instead of news, that we'd move from objective journalism to advocacy journalism. And my good friend, Mike Cutler, is joining us today. He's written a new article. You have got to read this. I'm just telling you, you have got to read this. Fake news and Orwell's Ministry of Truth. Now, if you've never read 1984, I'm going to tell you where have you been. What are you doing? You, you spend the few hours it will, it will take to read 1984. Because 1984, it took a little longer than 1984, but it is here and it is now. Uh, I was like I was telling you the other day, I was watching TMC the other night, and they had a an hour interview with Faye Dunaway, who I've always admired as an actress. And she's done some fantastic movies. And uh, she did one movie that I loved when it came out at first because I got into this business as a reporter uh, and doing news and being, you know, an objective journalism uh, journalist, not a uh, advocacy journalist, and I'm not going to take the time that I normally take to explain the difference between the two. But last but not least, the movie that I saw when it came out back in about, I guess, 76 maybe, was Network. Uh, people remember that movie for one scene, basically, and one scene only, and it's Albert Finch saying, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And... Uh, that's lived on in the annals of, of movies uh, since. Well, they had they replayed that movie uh, last weekend on a Saturday night, and I watched it again. My wife had never seen it, and I said, you got to watch it. <laughs> well, lo and behold, Michael, you're going to love this. I know you remember that movie, but go watch oh, it now. DVR. We watch it periodically as a reminder. Absolutely. It's... Pe- Hey, news is what network was back in 76. Remember how upset 
the networks became because of that movie and said, oh, we'll never be like that. That's never going to happen. And it is right now. It is exactly where the the uh, the networks are at. It's it's uh, pleasurable watching instead of news. You know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. I think it was Doug McClure, if I'm not mistaken, who called TV the, the vast wasteland. Uh, I believe yeah, McClure. Yeah. McClure, McClure, that's right. But the point of the matter is, and I studied uh, TV production. I, if I hadn't become a federal agent, I was thinking about becoming a journalist. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I call it my BA in BS. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, but in reality, ethical journalists and federal agents are very similar. In both cases, you're supposed to be a fact finder. That's right. For a right. journalist, the, the end product is a report, a story to enlighten the, the masses, especially in a democracy, in a democratic republic. You have to know what the heck's going on, so you know who to vote for, you know what the issues are, but you have to have the unvarnished objective truth. As an agent, the goal is to do an investigation that may exonerate someone or may cause someone to... Uh, become prosecuted or administratively as an immigration agent deported from the United States. So there's real weight behind what both professions do, and both are supposed to be honest. When it's not honest, and you look at what happened to Donald Trump uh, and his people, it was disgusting and frightening. And by the way, full disclosure for those of you who aren't familiar with me, I was with the INS for 30 years. I've been before a bunch of congressional hearings. I was called by the Democrats and the Republicans, and I'm registered as a Democrat. The problem is the Democrats are no longer Democrats, and someone could certainly argue neither are the Republicans Republicans. But my gosh, the politicians who took an oath to defend and protect the Constitution and who promised their constituents that they're going to look out for you, these guys are bigger con artists than Madoff. Yeah, oh yeah. And, you know, what's really, what's really accelerated the process, I think, is the decision by two decisions by the Supreme Court. Number one, that companies are constituents. It doesn't say we, the corporate executives in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, okay? Number two, Citizens United, which means unlimited amounts of money, can be pumped into political campaigns. We now need a new official in the cabinet. We need to have an auctioneer because this is now a bidding war. And, of course, the politicians will say, well, I don't take the bid contributions as they cross their both fingers behind their back. Because yeah, I don't. I don't take the pack money. Check. No, right, right, and that's the big bucks. But guess what? The party does, and guess what? The party does with it. They dole it out to the people that play the game the right way. And if you don't play it the right way, you're not getting a nickel. And I have seen political hits put on politicians. This happens in both parties. If they don't tow the company line, they cut off the money, and that is the mob equivalent of kneecapping somebody. So when they say we don't take PAC money, they sure do indirectly. So the political parties become money launderers. And I assure you, the leadership of the political parties tell the politicians where the money came from and who has to be satisfied. So you know what you have here? An employer-employee relationship. Because when you have an employer, you do what you're told, and they pay you for it. Isn't that how a job works? I don't care if you're a street sweeper or a brain surgeon, and that's what we have here. The politicians know what they have to do if they want that check. They become employers of the of the PACs. Well, I've always said, you know, what is the difference between someone who gives uh, whatever the max is that you can give 
uh, to a candidate. And the max is there is no max because if you give it through a PAC, you can give more money than what the government says you can give to a candidate. But the bottom line is, I mean, what's the difference between giving uh, $50,000 to a candidate? Why is that considered a political contribution? And you give $50,000 to a, a candidate expecting him to do X, Y, and Z, and that's considered a bribe. I've, but, I've never and, understood. And, and, I don't know the differentiation yeah. there. There is. It's all Orwellian. And let's dispense with one word. We've got to stop using one particular phrase that's dangerous and wrong, political correctness. Because it yeah. sounds like we're being complite and considerate. And Americans are among the most considerate, polite, and compassionate people in the world. <clears throat> of course, they've turned that that virtue into a vulnerability, but it's not Orwellian. It, it's Orwellian newspeak. It's not political correctness, and that's a really important distinction. Words are being used to alter the way we understand issues. Uh, and in fact, I'm so glad you're talking about 1984. I talk about it all the time, and you know, I do an internet radio show. I'll be on tonight at uh, at uh, seven o'clock East Coast time at the Michael Cutler Hour on Blog Talk. But I always insist on this, and I also do podcasts with Dennis Michael Lynch, and I do the same thing there. Newspeak explains it all. If you go to the appendix of 1984, it says this about Newspeak. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to devotees of the English Socialist Party, or what they called INCSOC, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. And they give an example... The word free still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as the dog is free from lice or the field is free from weeds. It could not be used in the old sense of being politically or intellectually free, since political and intellectual freedoms no longer existed, even as concepts, and were therefore of necessity nameless. Quite apart from the suppression of the definitely heretical words, the reduction of vocabulary was regarded as an end in itself, and no word that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Newspeak was designed not to extend but to diminish the range of thought, and this purpose was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. So think about what we do on Twitter. Let's eliminate all the unnecessary words. Let's forget about nuance, and then let's change the words so we confound any possibility of having an honest, open conversation about any significant topic. That's why it is all Orwellian newspeak, not political correctness that we're now being subjected to. Well, and then you, you have that? you have a whole you have a whole uh, uh, group of people, a uh, group of people who sit and watch Netflix, who sit and watch uh, television, and who sit and watch uh, the the net and watch uh, short yep. pieces of video, and they have the you know they they have the attention span of a gnat, <laughs> and because of yep. that, they don't sit down uh, like it it was at one time and read. Uh, long op-ed pieces uh, to consider the different sides of an issue. Right. Everybody wants instant whatever. Let's have a solution. Wall on the border. Let's talk about something else. Yeah. Instant whatever. Five words or less. Uh, I I write articles for Front Page Magazine, and this article you're talking about is for Front Page. I've been uh, happy to work writing for them for the last five or six years. David Arlowitz Freedom Center, Front Page Mag. And people say to me, well, I, I, I can't get past the headline. Why? I don't have that te- the attention. Really? <laughs> so if you can't get past the headline, and look at what passes for news on TV. A three-minute food fight by two people who know nothing about the topic. 
<laughs> I love you, Michael. And people say, well, I'm well-informed. Sure you are. You think so, huh? Yeah, think Three about what Mike... fight is not a news program. Here's the key. Think of that. Michael said, people, I can't, I can't get past the headline. Quote, here's the headline. Fake news and Orwell's Ministry of Truth. Now, here's the problem, Michael, with the headline. It's, it's, it has a supposition in it. And that is yep. that the person who reads it understands what you mean when you say fake news, and especially when you say Orwell's Ministry of Truth. Yep. You're I right. Mean, they, and here's another problem. Guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they, we, you and I, we had to read 1984 when we were in either late junior high or probably uh, early to middle high school. Kids today, oh, they don't school, even, they're not even mentioned. Thing, so we reread it, yep. Yeah, yep. it's not even mentioned to the kids now. Because well, you know, we're living, we're living it now. It. Well, but yeah. my kids read it because I demanded it. And this is another part of the problem I, I hear with parents all the time. I have four kids, and we've been blessed. They're, they're wonderful. Uh, we have really terrific kids and one, two amazing grandchildren. That's who I'm really fighting for. But yes, when people say here. to me, I'm my daughter's best friend, I'm my son's best friend, and I say, okay, how old is your son? He's 14. Folks, if you're an adult and trying to be a 14-year-old's best, best friend, get counseling quickly. <laughs> Children need parents. Agreed. Okay? My Agreed. father used to say to me, may rest in peace, better you should cry today than I have to cry tomorrow. Oh, that's and good. And if you're running around trying to placate a 14-year-old, it's not going to end well. And, you know, I, I used to say to my father, Dad, we live in a democracy. And he would say, outside, not in here. <laughs> That's right. So when you can go on your own and pay the rent and put food on your table, then he said, you'll have as much democracy as you want. But in this house, I pay, I call the shots, and that's the way it works. But if you don't that, like it, that's the way it was for me. To call and complain about it. And right, and yeah. that's what it's about. So when, when they said to me, my kid said, we don't have to read 1984, I said, yes, you do. And they did. And I think they're the better for it. Folks, we've got to look at our children and understand that they are in training for the rest of their lives. They're not always going to be living in the room next door to your bedroom. You know, it's hard to realize it when you're a parent and your kids are young and you're going crazy and you're doing the, the inevitable juggling act. But we're trying to turn out successful, decent, moral and honorable adults. That's the process. Schools should be boot academy for life. Not remedial reading and basket weaving, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and so this is about being prepared for life. I lost my parents to cancer when I was in college. It was a nightmare. They died within a year of each other. But because oh, of goodness. the way they raised me, I was able to soldier on. I've been on my own since I was 21, but they gave me the foundation to stand on my own two feet and make rational decisions based on facts. How many adults today are capable of making rational decisions based on facts? How's that look, for a question? Look, look around and see where our country is right now, and I think we it's a pretty easy question to answer. 621, time for our first break. Michael Cutler is my guest. It's been a while since we had Michael on. We usually have him on to talk about illegal immigration because he was so closely associated with that for years in his job. But today we have him on to talk about fake news and Orwell's Ministry of Truth. And when we come back, I got to ask you if you saw the uh, uh, coronavirus uh, 
news uh, presser that they had a couple of nights ago when Trump and uh, the press really got into it, and it was a real eye-opener about how the press does their job now. we got more to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. My special guest, uh, whom I consider a very special friend as well, is Michael Cutler. Uh, Michael uh, is like me. He's been around a long time. A lot of the things that we see now, we've seen before, and we've seen it play out. Uh, I will say, typically, I saw it beat down and put to the side years ago. But now, uh, what I look at as uh, being terrible, terrible things moving in the media and in our school systems and things of that nature have been accepted when they were rejected up until about the, uh, I would say, about the 83 uh, mark, 1983. After that, things really started changing, and in the last 10 years, it is totally accelerated. So it's good to have Michael along with us. He has a great article out. I know a lot of you don't like to read, but I'm going to suggest that you uh, go to Front Page Mag and, and read this article that he has out right now because it's something that I've talked about with you many, many years in a row. Uh, I bring 1984 up. I bring, uh, you know, uh, you know, Brave New World and uh, Stranger in a Strange Land and all these different books that I've read over my career. Uh, I bring, brought them up to you because these authors were seeing things that were happening in our countries and in our nations, and not necessarily just in America. I mean, Orwell it was all about Britain and about how Russia was trying to, to uh, you know, cause problems for Britain and uh, with socialism and, and with communism. And uh, it, it's just scary the way that uh, a lot of the things that, Michael, I have fought against all my life, there are so many people now, and I will say if you're younger than 30, you're one of those people that have swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. You really have. You know, a, a fish typically will bite a hook, but if they get really hooked, they swallow the hook, they swallow some of the line the hook is on, yep. and they swallow it all the way up to the sinker, which means they're really really hooked and a lot of you are that way now i mean i can i still to this day cannot understand how socialism got the grip in our country again today except that parents didn't do their jobs and tell their school systems quit teaching this crap well I'll my parents happens, used to though. do that but here's Go the ahead. thing, and, and you know, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, sure, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, I, I'm Jewish, and we saw what happened in the Holocaust. Half my mom's family was wiped out. I was named for my mother's mother, who was killed in Poland because of our religion. And if you look at Germany before Hitler, it was the most intellectual and liberal country in all of you, all of Europe. They cranked out the best scientists. Think of Albert Einstein and a long, long, long list. Think of all the rocket scientists and engineers who built. Well, we're weapons of terror. I mean, you know, I have mixed feelings about Werner von Braun. As a kid, I thought, wow, you know, my, my original dream yeah. was to be an aerospace engineer. Two of my boys are engineers. But Germany went hard right. Why? Because their economy faltered under the Weimar regime, and people who are starving and people who are failing will grasp anything. 
All right. And I so want you to keep. Uh, what do you say, Michael? Problem. Hey, Michael, I need to, I need you to stop yeah. right there. We're coming up on news, and then we'll come back okay. and we're going to pick up right there. There's been a couple of TV shows out that have raised interesting points. That if people watch them, it'll make them think. Now they may not want to, but it'll make them think. One yeah. is hunters, and the other is the plot against America. We're going to take a break. We got the news. Let's get to that right now. All right, we continue here on a Friday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. Michael Cutler is my guest. He is a writer. He is a broadcaster. He was a federal agent. He worked with uh, INS, which was the precursor of ICE. Uh, they just changed the name is all that happened there. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he's one of those guys that has been around. He's been involved. He had his job and... Uh, he saw a lot. He knows a lot. And we like to have him on to talk about uh, the issues of the day. And so he's joining us today. He's got a brand new article out. And what you want to do uh, is go to, uh, what is it? Where, where should they go to? Frontpagemag.com? Frontpagemag.com. And also my own website, by the way, is michaelcutler.net. But this is the article, and I do a lot of writing for Front Page Mag, Front Page Magazine. So it just came out yesterday. I'm very happy they published it. <clears throat> and, you know, one of the things I want, I want to make a real important point, folks. Democrats and Republicans, I don't mean the parties. And, by the way, the parties act in collusion all the time. For all the talk about how they would never cooperate, last year the Democrats and Republicans in the House, by a wide margin, passed three really bad immigration bills. Okay? So a lot of the fighting you see is like when you watch wrestling. It's not real. It's ketchup. It's not blood that you see on the guy's head. Okay? But right. as Americans, we need to focus more on what makes us similar than what makes us different. Um, I'm registered as a Democrat. And you probably think, my gosh, I'm a conservative. Why, why is this guy making sense? Or maybe you don't think I make sense. I don't know. <laughs> but if, you, if, if you're rational, well, who knows? But if you're rational, we all have the same concerns. We want the government to do three essential things for us. We want us to be kept safe from our enemies. And by That's the way, right. ICE and Border Patrol back up the military. The goal of the military is to keep our enemy as far from us as possible, up close and in person. Guess who does that job? The Immigration Service, when I was there, was the, provided the second largest contingent of agents to the Joint Terrorism Task Force and agents to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. I've arrested terrorists, and I spent uh, 15 years on the Drug Task Force and over at DEA Intelligence, okay? Then we want the, the, the police to keep our streets safe, and we want the schools to educate our kids. It's very simple. That's what we want. We want a secure future for our children. We want to live in peace and have opportunities to succeed. Very simple. Yeah. And the way that they, the media has taken us apart, well, I'm not going to listen to that network because they're liberal. I'll listen to that network because they're conservative. Who ever heard of that? I used to turn on Walter Cronkite, Eric Severide, Huntley and Brinkley, and we watched the news. Eric Severide, there was the news. Edward R. Murrow, there was the news. There's only one version of the truth. Yes, certain journalists, we all bring prejudice to the story because past experiences, orientation, we don't all see things through the same prism. But essentially, the evening news was the evening news. It wasn't a food fight. It wasn't this ridiculous political consultant coming up. What's a prerequisite for a political consultant? What do you have to be? And, you know, when politicians get all excited and up, and, oh, I'm a politician. Really? What's the requirement to be a congressman? Convince enough fools to vote for you? 
I always refer to these people by their first name because I like to establish the employer-employee relationship from the outset. If you're a doctor, if you're a general, yeah, you went through training, you had to jump through lots of hoops and and do an awful lot to become qualified. Any yo-yo can run successfully for Congress. Uh, Alexandria the barmaid, case in point, as I like to call her. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) He's talking about AOC, if you didn't pick that up. And you can say that kind of stuff. She's not JFK. She's not JFK, so she's not AOC. She's Alexandria the barmaid, okay? Yeah, she lives lives in New York. Michael can go after her. She picked her place to live. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. God help us all. But we've got to pay attention. And, folks, when we have conversations with our neighbors, if we're going to succeed and we have to have conversations, stick to the issues. Stick to. Let's stay away from the personalities. Much as I look at Pelosi and, and by God, she makes my head spin like a top. Did you see that that ice cream in the freezer chest? Yes. We need ice cream, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice cream Antoinette. Right. And, and so what did that show? The contempt she has for the people she's supposed to represent. I bet you there are thousands of people in her district who don't have a job and don't have money and they're scared to death. And there she is standing in front of the refrigerator. If she was classy, she would have stood in front of a blank wall or maybe a bookcase. No, let me show you how well I'm eating. Maybe you're not, but I'm doing really well. Wink, wink. This and is I a can't, level of I can't, arrogance yeah. and disconnect. Well, it's Maria, it's Maria Antoinette. <laughs> Let them eat cake. You know, she's eating ice cream in her, and keeping it in her $24,000, you know, uh, sub-zero freezer. freezer. Unbelievable. You know, I, I heard a rumor. It's not, it's not confirmed, but there's a rumor that the FAA may be suspending her pilot's license for her broomstick. <laughs> I mean, this woman is... <laughs> I don't want to spread false uh, rumors until, it's made, until there's certainty to the story. But, I'm I mean, how, it was a how-dare-you moment. It's a how-dare-you moment. Folks, the goal is to put us at odds with each other. You've got foreign governments, um, China, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, possibly Russia and Iran, pumping billions of dollars into our universities. Charles Lieber was the chairman of the chemistry and chemical biology department at Harvard University. He was arrested by the FBI just before the outbreak, and guess why he was arrested? taking millions of dollars from China, allegedly, let's be clear, allegedly, and working with them in their labs at Hunan. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. when you look at that level of stupidity on our part and outsourcing jobs, and Tucker Carlson did an amazing story. He said that he was going to post the interview on his website. There's a, an outfit called the um, McKenzie & Company. They do consulting for major corporations. They were the ones that, that, that hooked these to talk about hook, line, and sinker, companies on the idea of exporting all of our manufacturing to make more money. Look, I understand that companies make a profit. That's what they do. I'm a capitalist. I'm not a socialist. But understand why kids are going towards socialism. No jobs, no opportunities. Uh, Opportunities for jobs are being given to foreign nationals. When they were talking about these doctors, they said that now 60% of our doctors aren't Americans. Why in the world are we not making certain that American kids get the opportunities? If you really want to be smart, educate kids living in poverty. Give them scholarships if they have the ability so they could become successful. When you don't take care of kids at the bottom rung, these kids are at risk. 
All that they're surrounded by is violence, failure, and they're desperate to get out. And if you don't have an education, the only way out is to become involved in criminal activity. I saw it with the drug trade. We have you know, I, drugs onto the streets. Go ahead. And uh, <clears throat> well, I just wanted to make the point. So you have kids now who feel hopelessness. And what are we doing? Importing foreign students and foreign workers, destroying the middle class. And so people who are desperate, my dad used to say to me, if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. We have homelessness because wages have been suppressed by a massive influx of foreign workers, and not just illegal aliens, but the H visa programs, the high-tech workers. Yep. And then as you flood America with more people, there's greater demand for apartments. Well, this is economics. Demand goes up. Guess what also goes up? The price. Yep. Price so goes you're up. Destroying wages, and you're and you're forcing way, the, the cost of housing up, and this leads to homelessness. And of course, the media will say, "Well, it's about a lot of drug abuse." Some of it is, but you have people that were middle class. They have families. They lost their homes because they lost their jobs because corporations are more concerned with the bottom line than they are with their own employees. And I love the people who say, "Well, the Constitution only guarantees opportunity, not outcome." But the people telling you this have golden parachutes, so when they screw up their companies, they walk out the door with more money than their employees will see in a lifetime. The or more, they, they walk out. The, Here's the problem. Right. They walk out with more money than what they lost for the company who fired them. But they're the ones complaining that the money now is going to be more than these people are being paid at the bottom rung. So uh-huh. they won't go back to work, right? I what was it. the incentive for, the, for the, the head of Boeing when he screwed Boeing into the ground and he walked out the door with a golden parachute? But if the employees lost their job because of that, they'd have a security guard make sure that they don't even take a pen with the company logo on it when they walk out the door. You're right. How hey, let me, that? I want to read this from your article, and this is the reason I'm asking you to read uh, Michael Cutler's article today uh, in uh, – uh, the the, the uh, front page uh, magazine.com. Yeah. The yep. uh, founding fathers understood that freedom of expression is at the foundation of our republic's democratic form of government. Hence, they made such freedom an element of the First Amendment. You know how important I see that. I, I led the charge in the last general session to uh, make sure that on college campuses in Arkansas, uh, we had freedom of expression. None of these safe free zones and all that crap. We got rid of all of that finally. Totalitarian regimes, on the other hand, rigidly impose strict controls on language and on the information provided to their citizens. What information is provided is thinly disguised propaganda formulated to maintain tight control over the population. And you have to understand that. That's why when you look at our college campuses, they don't let uh, kids uh, talk about whatever they've got on their mind. No matter how it infuriates somebody, they tell people you can't upset somebody's uh, feelings. That's why I bought that new sweatshirt that I wear around that says, facts trump your feelings. All right. That's just the bottom line. There are facts out there. There is truth. There is not multiple forms of truth. That's the other thing, Michael, that's driving me crazy in this country. I've got my truth. No, 
you either have the truth or you don't have the truth. It's one or the other. You don't have your truth. You're not an oracle from God. I'm just telling you that right now. So I just, you know, it's just, it's crazy, Michael. It, this is nuts. It's nuts, but people are gullible. You know, I, I work with the Speaker's Bureau in D.C., and I, I had a room filled with Air Force generals, and, and one was this woman who was the chief judge advocate general for the U.S. Air Force. And she got up, and they were in civvies. I, you know, we spoke after as I found out who she was. In fact, a couple of times back, one of the people in the audience is one of our astronauts. It was, it was a thrill to meet him. But she said to me, how do you account for the stupidity of the average American? And I said, I can explain it in two words. And she said, I can't believe you can explain that in two words. I said, absolutely, I can. Pet rock. And the whole audience <laughs> went nuts. And I got, a, I got a standing ovation from a room filled of generals. That's and very I said, true. Right, they're willing to spend money on a rock and a box, and if that wasn't dumb enough, a year later they made more money with a training manual for the pet rock. Imagine <laughs> the guy that comes to work bleary-eyed. His friend says, Charlie, you look exhausted. He says, yeah, I was up all night. I was trying to teach my pet rock how to play dead. You know, yeah, I mean, well, this yeah. is where we are today. <laughs> I'm with you. Michael, we've got to take a final break. Let's do that. Then we'll come you back bet. finish up our discussion today. Don't forget, frontpagemag.com, frontpagemag.com. And the name of the article, just so that you'll have it, is Fake News and Orwell's Ministry of Truth. It is worth your Read. You're not wasting your time when you sit down and you read this from Michael Cutler. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. we got a few more things to talk about quickly, and then we'll let Michael go today here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so Michael, in your article, it's, it's so, this is such a great article. It really, really is. If you don't well, read this you. article, I'm just telling my listeners, you don't read this article, you're really... You're going back and just re- you're you're eating hot dog when you could have a sirloin steak. I mean seriously, or a filet mignon. That's what this article is. Thank you. I, I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate that. So some politicians will take will do whatever it takes to win. Consider back in September fifteenth of twenty sixteen, Washington Post headline: Harry Reid lied about Mitt Romney's taxes. He's still not sorry. From the very beginning of his candidacy, the Democrats pulled out all the stops to try to stop him. The campaign was not about different viewpoints and uh, ideology. It was all about going and doing whatever was necessary to derail his campaign. The entire bogus Russian collusion travesty on, on, uh, of course, Trump uh, was concocted to undermine his campaign and then his administration. This elaborate hoax that cost millions of dollars also caused the malicious prosecutions of those associated with the Trump campaign and diverted the attention of our political leaders from critically important issues. Fake news has spread like a wildfire and can be found in all sorts of area you would never expect to see it. And here, let me just read this to you. Consider two recent articles published by the Defense One website. I have for some time subscribed to that website, which focuses on matters of national security and the military. It creates the impression of being a reliable source of important information. A couple of recent articles caused me to dig into this website, which, as I discovered, is published by the leftist partner organization Atlantic 
media. So you got Defense One published the outrageous article, Don't Be Fooled, Trump's Cuts to Who Aren't About the Coronavirus. And then uh, you got Cuban doctors accused international agency of profiting from their work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People have got to take the time to find out where they're getting their information from now, Michael. Yep, it's like what Johnny Cochran, the defense attorney for O.J., famously remarked, if you can't trust the messenger, you can't trust the message. Okay, Mm -hmm. and the other article that they wrote was Trump's Air Force One, as though this was his airplane and it was a vanity move on his part to order a new Air Force One. The current pair of 747s we commonly think of as Air Force One. It's any airplane the president is in. You know, when Bush landed on the deck of the carrier on that fighter plane, that plane was given the call sign Air Force One. When, That's correct. He was a little premature when he said mission accomplished. That was the dumbest thing I ever saw. What a stunt that was. But the point of it is, those airplanes have been in service since, since 1991. They were ordered by George Herbert Walker Bush, but he never flew in it as president. Nor will Trump ever fly in the new Air Force Ones unless the, his successor invites him for a ride. Okay? <clears throat> so understand, he will not fly in the plane. By the time they enter service in 2025, Air Force One will be nearly 35 years old. This is not a vanity move. Why did they do it? The training manual, the, the manual will cost $84 million. That's all part of the price because that complex airplane, the manual, is over 100,000 pages. So was this really a story? No. But it was a hit piece on the president. By sure the way, was. I just wanted to make one quick point. I'm in a documentary by Dennis Michael Lynch. It's the fourth edition of They Come to America. This one is called They Come to America, uh, The Politics of Immigration. It's available at Amazon, and if you belong to Amazon Prime, it's free. And with everyone sitting around, if you want to watch a really great documentary, not because I'm in that I have a small role in this one, but it was a really well-made film. Everyone needs to see They Come to America the politics of immigration. Uh, We've got to wake up, folks. And when we have conversations with our neighbors, we need to deal with the truth. You know, when I used to interrogate a bad guy, I'd walk into the room and the guy's lawyer is there and the prosecutors are there. And I would turn to the guy and say, let's save each other a lot of time and aggravation. Remember, there's only one version of the truth. And that's something that we need to understand. There isn't a left truth and a right truth and your truth and my truth. There's the truth. There's the truth. That's right. And that's how it's supposed to work, you know? Yeah, that's right. And I I mentioned this earlier on when we were talking. It's one of the things that drives me crazy now is people who say, well, my truth. And I go, what are you talking about? I mean, there's there's a truth and then the there's no truth. You know, I mean, it's one or the other. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's an opinion. That's what it is. That's your opinion. That does not mean it's the truth. And uh, that drives me crazy when I hear people say that. And the young people use that a lot. But here's what you got to remember, the power of a question. Voltaire was right when he said you judge a person's intelligence by the questions they ask. As Americans, we need to be able to learn how to ask the hard questions to pin down our leaders and make sure they come to understand that we're not the idiots that they hoped we were. We need to hold them accountable. We need to move in industry back to the United States. And anybody who says that America needs to import foreign brain power for America to lead needs to be bounced out of office and quicker the better. Uh, we, we are the nation that went to the moon that accomplished so much <clears throat> The, be- the world's best and brightest have a name, folks. We call them Americans. 
We call them it. Americans, and there's nothing wrong with saying, let's put American citizens first. Families put their children first. You don't give money to charity when your own kids are starving. And a country is wrong unless it makes the priority of that country the well-being of its own citizens. How's that for an analogy? That's a good That's a good place to end on, Michael. Michael Cutler, our guest. It's always a pleasure to have him on. Hey, Mike, uh, for our, my listeners, real quickly, 6 o'clock our time is when you'll be on uh, your radio uh, show. Right, the Michael do. Cutler Hour, Blog Talk. Yeah, um, Blog Talk. Uh, how do they get that on the Internet? Just go, just go online and, and just punch in the Michael Cutler Hour blog talk. It'll take you right to it. You can also go to my website, Michael Cutler, one word, C-U-T-L-E-R, Michael Cutler, dot net. Go to Dennis Michael Lynch. You can catch my podcast at the subscription service. And, of course, front page magazine, frontpagemag.com. I just want you to know what a delight it is to join you. I hope you're well. I hope that all of your listeners are well and safe. Take good care of yourselves, folks. And, my favorite bumper sticker said, uh, be kind to the people you meet. You don't know the battles they're fighting. We need to become united as Americans, folks. There's nothing wrong with that. This is the greatest country in history. We need to preserve and protect it. And that's the work all Americans have to do by getting involved, because democracy is not a spectator sport. We've got to get involved. Very You're right. Important. Reagan was right. You know, uh Freedom is only Freedom one, is generation, one away. generation from extinction. Yeah. That's exactly right. right. All right, Michael, we'll let you go. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Let's do it, let's do it again soon. What do you say? Absolutely. We'll you that. call, I'll be there for you. You have a terrific show. You do a great job, and your uh, listeners are blessed to have a talk show host like you because uh, you call it the way you see it. And Isn't that a rarity today, unfortunately? A lot of times it is. Thank you, Michael. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Coming up in the next hour, we'll hear from Jerry Cox, from Robert Steinbach, and a whole lot of other people for your entertainment and edification here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hi, Jerry. I'm glad you're with us today. I hope you heard the last hour. If not, not get the podcast on 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. Hey, Heidi, how long does it take you to get this stuff posted so people can re-listen to it? Not very long. It only takes me like 15 minutes after the show. Usually I try to have it on like uh, I try to have it on the website by like no later than 930. There you go. All right. So know that you can get that uh, that hour. Share that first hour. I'm just telling you. Heidi, was that first hour not awesome? It was. Yeah, he's uh, Michael Cutler is really the real deal. Uh, and we talked about his new uh, article talking about Orwell fake news and, and how all of that has come together. And, of course, I worked in a movie. Robert, I worked a movie in, and I worked in Network. Have you watched it yet? <laughs> it's on my 
list, Dave. It's on the list. You got to rewatch that movie. I'm just telling you, man. It is unbelievable how that movie came out in '76, and it is as it is more true today than it was when it was released back in 1976. That voice you heard, Robert Steinbach, you know him. He joins me uh, twice, about twice, or maybe even sometimes three times a week. A political professor, a law professor, uh, not political, law professor over at Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone, not necessarily those of the law school or the university. So keep that in mind. And also with us today, Jerry Cox joins us. And Jerry, it's always good to have you from the Family Council to be with us. Uh, the uh, appellate court slapped down Baker again. Do you think that she's getting tired of this yet? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'm getting tired of her and her <laughs> rulings that yeah, are no so kid. Out, out of line. And the Eighth Circuit uh, Superior Court keeps looking at her and saying, what are you doing? Uh, you are out of line. It was a severe rebuff because what she did was she said that the governor's cease and desist order against the Little Rock Surgical Abortion Clinic would not stand. And the governor, the health director, everybody concerned said, you know what, this abortion clinic is a health hazard because they're using up um, valuable resources for uh, procedures that are elective. They got a bunch of people crammed into a small building over there. They're not practicing social distancing. And they got bunches of people coming in from out of state to get an abortion when you can't come here and spend the night at the state park, but you can come here and get your abortion. And so they issued a directive back weeks ago, and all the clinics in Arkansas that I know of complied. They said, okay, we're not going to do any more cataract surgeries and this and that. And I know people that can't get really important surgeries. Well, that abortion clinic just thumbed their nose and kept right on rolling. In fact, their business was booming. They opened extra days. They had people parked in the overflow parking lot. And so finally, the governor and the health director issued a cease and desist order and said, listen, guys, either you stop doing these surgical abortions or we're going to pull your license. And that's when they went to went with the ACLU to federal court. Christine Baker, who pro-choice to the, to the max, uh, Judge Baker here said, nope, governor's order can't stand. You guys can keep on doing abortions. And they did. And then the AG, thank, thank God for Leslie Rutledge, took it all the way up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they slapped down Judge Baker and said, the order can stand, and Judge Baker, you are out of line. And so that's where we stand at this moment. <coughs> it's amazing to me that... Time in and time out. We've got to continue to, to fight the way that we do about uh, these uh, abortion uh, restrictions because uh, they're passed, they're, 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 they're vetted. And then you've got a judge that the, the left can go to, and, and uh, Robert, you can join, jump in here, that they know that they can go to and they'll put, you know, they'll, they'll say, no, no, wait, 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 no, you can't do that. And I got to believe Baker understands that when it gets up there to the 8th, it's going to be overturned, but I don't believe she cares. Well, and see, all the while, they're doing abortions out there. I've been out in front of that clinic. There were half a dozen lawmakers, state legislators, standing out there a couple of weeks ago praying in front of that clinic. We've all seen what goes on there. 
And let me tell you, 96 or 97 percent of all the abortions done in Arkansas every year, and they do about 2,000 out there at that building alone. Wow. 96, 97 percent are on healthy mothers carrying healthy babies. They've not been raped. They're not a victim of incest. And if left alone, those babies would be born healthy and grow up and get the same shot at life that you and I got, all of us got. And, um, you know, this is, you know, there, it's more than just theory and, law, and, and whether or not a ruling might stand. When you stand in front of that clinic and you see those cars pull in from Texas and Louisiana, Tennessee, it's real. It's very real. What do you think, Robert? I mean, seriously, Baker has... She's carried the water for the abortion industry for years here in Arkansas, has she not? Well, let, me, let me ask a question of Jerry, because I don't know a lot about the, the science of it. Jerry, I thought they they do the, they give these pills now that, that there's non-surgical abortions, meaning uh, I, I asked that question as a lead-in to why is this even a controversy? Is there not an alternative, or does that only work at one point, and then this is an alternative at another point? Do you know the answer to that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, uh, drug-induced abortions that you speak of with pills, uh, drugs, can only be done legally in Arkansas up to the 10th week of pregnancy. I then uh, after that, uh, the ban goes into effect at the 20th week. And so between 10 and 20 weeks, you have to do a surgical abortion for it to be legal in the state of Arkansas. And so what the governor's ruling, it was very narrow. And I appreciate you asking this. It was very narrow. It said, you've got to stop doing surgical abortion procedures. And they allowed the clinic to continue doing the drug-induced abortions out there uh, at Little Rock Family Planning Services. And they allowed Planned Parenthood to keep on doing their drug-induced abortions as well. Planned Parenthood doesn't do the surgical ones. The, the surgical ones are only done out there at Little Rock Family Planning. And so it was very narrow. And the governor didn't say, I'm against abortion and you can't do them during this pandemic. I said, right. you are you are a health a health risk during the pandemic, the same way Ortho Arkansas might be if they were doing knee surgery or other things, and so everybody else complied. But the abortion facility says we're special; we don't have to play by the same rules that everybody else does. I mean, we all probably know people that can't go to the doctor right now and get whatever they need because of the ban on elective procedures. And everybody's trying to do their part, and these guys out here just thumbed their nose. And it finally took a cease and desist order directed at that particular facility, and then they still persisted in, in going forward. Yeah, that's when they went to Baker to carry their water, and they always go to Baker to carry their water. How 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 do we take care of Baker? I mean, the, the problem is well, uh, you got, you got <clears throat> one judge. Let me tell you, um, the, the Attorney General's office asked the Eighth Circuit to remove Judge Baker. They said, oh. take her off this case. And the Eighth Circuit did not do that. I think that's the only thing that the Attorney General asked for in, from the Eighth Circuit that the Eighth Circuit did not do. Did they, they say why? Judge Baker. I haven't read the whole uh, you know, ruling from the Eighth Circuit yet. 
But when I was talking with some people at the AG's, AG's office, they said we, we won everything or got everything we asked for except the removal of Judge Baker. So yes, um, let me let me see if I can add something to that. Okay. And that is the the way the system works. You go to the trial court. That's what Baker's on, and you, they spin a wheel essentially, and you get assigned a judge. So it doesn't. It's not that automatically you get Baker if you've got an abortion case. That's how the wheel came up. And there are other liberal judges on the trial court, and there are conservative judges on the trial court. So it's the luck of the draw, and. The, yeah, you know, I'm so you, glad I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up because Please. here's where the ACLU was very shrewd. They amended an existing case that Judge Baker yeah. already had. That is clever. That is clever. Is that clever? I mean, I, clever. I give it to them on that. That way, right. they That's got good Judge Baker. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, that, so basically, guys. So basically, <laughs> what they did is they did like what the mob used to do. In their in, in in their casinos, they put a little weight behind Judge Baker's part on the wheel, so that the wheel would stop at her name. Well, Effectively, they, but the they, case it was an existing case, was, according to Jerry. So the, the fact is that if it's an existing case, you can go in and you have the same judge. In other words, there is no wheel. You know who you're going to. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and see, we expected Judge Baker then to turn around and issue. Some sort of, um, um, you know, they they over they vacated her temporary restraining order is what they vacated, and we thought she was going to do like Texas and come back and do a preliminary injunction, maybe like today, but here's what kind of changed the the, the field. The governor then announced a couple of days ago that he's going to allow elective medical procedures to begin proceeding statewide on Monday. And so what we've ended up with is a little bitty narrow window here of maybe two or three days where they're not able to do surgical abortions over there at the facility, and then they will resume business as usual over there on Monday, uh, along with all the other medical clinics around the state. But here's the caveat. Before they can do an abortion or before you could do knee surgery or whatever procedure it is, a clinic has to test the patient about at least no more than 48 hours prior to the procedure. They have to test them for COVID and know whether or not they have uh, COVID or not. And so that could be problematic for the abortion facilities. We just don't know because it's the testing I'm told is not as simple as just a little, you know, simple little thing. You've got to have connections with a lab and so forth, I think. Yeah, you so. you got to get the whatever swab you have is made by a, a particular lab, and so you got to do the swab and send it back to that lab. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, so but, let's get a break. i got to take a break. Let's do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing wants you not to have to worry about your roof. During this time with COVID-19, you can call, you can go on the Internet. You don't have to talk to them face-to-face, so you you can keep your social distancing. Don't have to worry about that. And then the the PI Roofing will do what they've always done. They will work with your insurance company. Uh, They'll make sure that whatever the problems are with your roof uh, get fixed. They fix roofs. They don't just uh, go up and and do a little repair work here and there. They fix your roof. 
you'll not have any of the problems or any other problems once they get down with your roof because they do such a doggone good job. And don't forget, they're not just a roofing company, but they also uh, do, you know, you know, fixing construction stuff. So they can go inside your home and fix those leaks that you've had. They can take care and fix around your windows. They can fix windows. They can put a new kind of window in. Talk to them about that. They take care of your gutters. They can do all of that. All of that. A lot of that you can't get done because the, the big companies out there don't want to deal with the small day-to-day stuff. PI Roofing, they excel at the day-to-day stuff. So call them, 707-3551, 707-3551, or visit them online at, you ready? Here it is. It's really tough, piroofing.com. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Jerry Cox is our guest, member of Family Life Council. Good to have him with us. Jerry, you had a, a story about... A woman who was brought to the abortion clinic there on the west side uh, in a taxi cab from what, from the airport? She flew to Arkansas? Yes, she did. Um, One of my staff members, uh, Sharice Dean, was out in front of the abortion surgical facility here in Little Rock back a few days ago. and, And she was actually shooting a video out there that we were putting up online. And Sharice looked over there. She saw a taxi cab pulling into the abortion uh, facility parking lot. And so when the taxi cab dropped a young woman off there and the cab began to pull out to leave and Sharice just went over and, you know, flagged the cab down and just said, hey, uh, started talking to the driver and said, hey, what's going on? And uh, he said, well, he said uh, he didn't reveal anything personal, really. He said, picked a young lady up uh, from another state at the airport. And she needed a ride to a certain location. He said, when I rounded the corner up here, it dawned on me, I'm driving this girl to an abortion clinic to get an abortion. And the cab driver said, at that moment, he said, it just grieved me so much. He said, I shifted into father mode and said, oh, young lady, please don't do this. And uh, he said, the young lady began to cry. And he said, uh, let me pray with you. Uh, you're about to make a mistake. And he prayed with her and went ahead and did his job, you know, and pulled up in the parking lot. And she began to weep. And she said, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. I thought it was. And but she went on into the clinic anyway. And uh, but here's the here's the rest of the story. This order that the Eighth Circuit upheld will delay her abortion because it would have it fell during this time period when they can't do the surgical abortions. And so I don't know much about that story, Dave, but I'll tell you, this is not just abstract. It's not just in theory. We're talking about real people who are struggling, and I have a real heart for these young ladies who are afraid, who feel like they don't have anywhere to turn. You know, there there are only two abortion facilities in Arkansas, but there are about 40 pregnancy centers staffed by people who, who are there to help young ladies with an unplanned pregnancy. Yes. There are lots of resources if they just knew about it. In fact, Dave, there's a pregnancy center right next door to the abortion facility here in Little Rock. All you got to do is just stop one door down 
and you can go in there and they will help you make the right choice. And so it's just tragic what I see going on. And those people out there are making a lot of money right now during this crisis doing abortions. I mean, that's that's the key. You, you hope that that young lady, because she was not sure, as she Absolutely. said, I'm doing the right thing. She needs somebody to talk to her and, and give her, uh, you know, all the information about abortion because there's so many misconceptions about it. And some people make it sound like, you know, it's fallen off a, uh, you know, a, a log yeah. kind of thing. And it yeah. is not that way at all. I just thought God is so good that he will even intervene and speak through a cab driver. And I thought that cab driver was so good to just say, you know what? I'm a cab driver, but I'm not. I'm also a person that can talk to another person yep. heart to heart. And I'm so yeah. glad he did. I'm with him. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to have Rose Mims on after the bottom of the hour news, and we'll pick up uh, with her to find out where we go from here as far as you know abortion and what this means towards abortion and things of that nature. We appreciate you, brother, and we appreciate you being at the front line of the, and the point of the spear, so to speak, when it comes to fighting on these uh, life issues. Thank you, Jerry. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Robert, that, that last story was really good. That, that's, that's, uh, those are the kind of stories I, I like to hear, is that you just had an, uh, just a normal, everyday schmo, as I like to call us, uh, out there. And uh, he listened to his inner spirit is what he did. And, and he just said, no, you, you don't want to do this. You just don't want to do this. And he had an effect on this young lady. And then for folks who think why they keep fighting in the courts over this, well, that young lady couldn't get the abortion that she uh, desired because uh, the uh, restraining order is still in effect. So that's a good thing. We've got about 30 seconds. This is such a hard issue for a lot of people. I don't know why. I just You know me well enough. You know why I say that. But I don't know why, but it is. And it is just tough in this country. And then add on top of that, the pandemic, and as Jerry pointed out, the order issued by the governor was not an anti- or pro-abortion uh, order, right? It was only... All right, 735, uh, Rose Mims joins us, uh, Director of Arkansas for Life, and uh, we're going to talk to her. Don't forget, Robert Steinbach is here as well. He's a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone, and not necessarily those of the school or the university, although, as I always say, they should be. All right, Rose, we had Jerry Cox on, and uh, you sent me a little text and told me you were listening. Uh, he covered... Uh, uh, what the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals has done. I'd like you to give your take. I mean, you've been so close to this issue for so many years. Did I see, how many years has it been now that you've been with Our uh, Self Alive? Well, it's going on 27, yeah. 27 years. But before I was, you know, I volunteered at Crisis Pregnancy Center for five years. So since 1988, I've been involved and active and seen a lot and know a lot, but, you know, this whole issue of 
you know, what the governor was trying to do and the Arkansas Department of Health to protect the citizens of Arkansas during this pandemic. Um, and then the abortion clinic's response to the directive for all medical clinics to, you know, suspend surgical procedures is just typical, you know, of their disregard for human life. And what they, how it has played out and is still playing out is just business as usual and their modus of operanda when they don't get what they want, and that is, you know, unrestricted abortion, um, you know, they sue. They run to the courts and run to judges they can trust to give them what they want. So, it's, you know, it's. I was not surprised at all that has happened. And, you know, where do we go from here? And what I hope this whole uh, situation has brought to light, shining a bright light on the abortion clinics here in Arkansas, in Little Rock, that kill babies routinely, and people don't seem to care or know or want to get involved, and that's got to change. Well, I agree. Most people, when they think about babies and being born, they see, you know, the doctor holding them by the feet and smacking them on the backside and things of that nature. When, in fact, in many cases uh, in our society now, uh, the way it ends is a a baby uh, in pieces laying on a tray. And, and that is so that is so disturbing to me. I mean, it is so disturbing that in a culture that considers themselves enlightened, they think that killing innocent human life is some form of enlightenment and that an unborn child is some kind of parasite. Well, it's a sign of our culture, you know, the me generation where, you know, it's not what... Um what happens to that baby is what I want. It's uh, freedom, reproductive rights. But, you know, they, they're getting away from that right word, and they're using reproductive health care because they want it to seem like it's just like any other surgical procedure. But yes. during the pandemic, we found that, you know, they want it both ways. They want it to be just like any other medical procedure. But then when it's treated that way, oh, no, this is we're special. You know, we have to be treated differently. We're, we should be able to carry on as usual and do what we want to do by killing babies and bring people from other states. I mean, at one point, Planned Parenthood in Tennessee was uh, referring women to the Little Rock Surgical Abortion. So, you know, it, uh, and we have many women that come anyway to Arkansas for abortions, and Tennessee is the number one state in that list. And, um, you know, what's, what's happened here in this situation is that, you know, the governor didn't treat them different. He said all surgical uh, procedures should uh, be suspended during the that's pandemic. Correct. Yeah, well, that's but correct. He, yeah, but he didn't include medication abortion. Uh, some other state, their governors did. But medication abortion, uh, RU-486, the abortion pill, not the morning after pill, the abortion pill. You know, it's a baby, and up to 10 weeks, this method is um, used and growing in Arkansas. One-third of the abortions in Arkansas are done using those pills, medication. And what we need to do as a pro-life movement 
not only for women who are seeking surgical abortion, and many women uh, right now are afraid and, and maybe you're seeking abortion that wouldn't have otherwise, is to be there for them. I'm praying that this whole uh, situation has um, brought to the forefront the need for more people to be out there at the site where babies are killed, at Planned Parenthood in particular, and also at the uh, Little Rock Family Planning. And with resources, like, you know, uh, there is a pregnancy center right next door to the surgical abortion um, site, and women need to know that and be directed over there, but there aren't people out there to help them. You know, every day they're open, you know, pro-life. Let's talk about that. Uh, I know that you had some questions about uh, the pills, uh, Robert, here's the person to talk to. What what was on your mind about that? Well, we were just talking. I think um, Rose brings up exactly the right uh, question, which is that the governor did not ban the um, the use of the pill during this time. The point being simply that this was not a ploy relative to abortions, this was, during the context of the pandemic, uh, the need to shut down uh, elective surgery, given the limitation on equipment, uh, as well as the risk of having people in close quarters. So uh, that's the, the issue that's at hand here. This was not a debate about abortion. This was a debate about pandemic-related safety, and that's why the Eighth Circuit ultimately ruled uh, in favor of the governor. And that's exactly right. And, you know, as they did in other states, some some other states, other states, you know, um, the courts did not rule that, that way. But as um, we now know that the that, that directive will be lifted somewhat on April 25th, Monday. And then we're just going to wait and see, will these surgical abortions resume under those new conditions? And we don't know that yet. Time will tell on that. And also, you know, the state of emergency on the pandemic is also the clock's running out on that. So unless the governor extends that, you know, some of those directives will be in place, and we'll just have to wait and see what the um, Art family planning, how they can operate with surgical abortions under those new guidelines. Yeah, it's really amazing to me. I mean, look, this fight's been going on since the 70s, and Rose, you've been in, in it since the mid-late 80s. Uh, it has been a fight of not buzz saws to tree trunks, but, you know, uh, having a uh, uh, some kind of a chisel and a hammer as you try to hammer off pieces of granite. It has been a slow process to get where we are today. Yeah, we're at a good place. I mean, yes, abortion is still legal, but uh, we protect many babies. I mean, you can just take a look at the numbers. You know, the highest point came in the the late 90s when we were doing 1.6 million abortions in the United States every year. And now it's fallen below the million. The last figures I heard was hovering right around 900,000. So hearts are changing. Minds are changing. We see that through the polling. You know, most people 
think that some restrictions need to be in place and not allow abortion on demand like some of the states have have embraced, like New York and um, some of the other states that want Virginia, you know, that want babies who are born alive just to be left and discarded and, uh, you know, because they were supposed to be aborted. They weren't meant to be alive. And it's just, it's unreal, really, what, how far the other side has taken the extreme um, positions. Well, it's the way, it's the way they, it's the way, yeah, it's the way they do, uh, you know, their whole deal with political correctness and, uh, as we talked about in the first hour, newspeak. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's semantics. It's taking a word, a term, or uh, a, a something that's happening and call it something else. It's taking abortion and saying it is the termination of a pregnancy and making it uh, you know, female health repro- uh, reproductive, uh, uh, you know, services. I mean, that sounds so much nicer than we're killing babies. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, it's health care to them. And that's what they want everybody to to look at it as health care. So it's different because they want taxpayers to pay for it, number one. And they want no restrictions on it. You know, yeah, Rose, Rose, we we love you because you continue the fight. You continue to have the March for Life and all the other things that you do when the uh, General Assembly is in session and you go and talk to lawmakers and you try to talk sense into them. And we really appreciate appreciate you, Rose. I got to get to break. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much. We'll have you back on. Uh, as we go along during the course of this year, I'm sure. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Dave. All right, Rose Mims here on the Dave Ellswick Show. When we come back, Steinbach is over here chafing at the bit. We'll find out what he wants to talk about when we return. On the Dave Ellswick Show, 746 on a Friday. If you got to be at work at uh, 8 o'clock, you got 14 minutes to get there. All right, we are down to just about nine minutes remaining for this hour. Robert Steinbach now with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 8.35, when the movie's coming back. Well, we're going to talk to Matt Smith about that at 8.35. He'll give us the latest that he has heard about that and uh, talk to him about maybe uh, what movies have moved to what dates now. I mean, everything is all shook up. It's like they took everything, put it in a bag, just shook it up, and then dumped it out on the table. So uh, we'll figure out maybe uh, when the big blockbusters that we've been waiting for. For instance, for me, Wonder Woman 1984, I want to see that. want to see the new Godzilla versus King Kong, things of that nature. They're not coming out when we thought they were coming out. There's other things that are coming out first. Hey, don't forget about what Forbes is saying. Ninety-six percent of Americans, that's right, 96 percent, claim their Social Security benefits, but at the wrong time. Yeah, wrong time. That's not good. It can uh, cost you an average of $111,000 over the lifetime of your retirement. And i got to ask you, it's a rhetorical question, but still, can you afford to lose $111,000? Learn how you can afford, avoid that mistake with a free Social Security analysis. 
from David Lucas Financial. He was on with us yesterday, had several calls after being on right here in North Little Rock. I mean, you forget about these important things that you've got to decide because of the day-to-day things going on about COVID-19. So if you've saved more than $250,000, you've not filed, not filed for Social Security. Be one of the first 10 callers right now to schedule your free analysis at 501-222-3315. This free analysis can be done over the phone or video conference. Don't have to sit in a, a, a you know, in a in a room with David at all. You can do it in a way that your social distancing will continue. Or you can go into his his office. They've got a big room that they meet in, and you can keep your social distancing there as well. Call 501-222-3315, 501-222-3315. Uh, Investment advisory services are offered through the David Lucas Financial Company, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. Eight minutes uh, till eight o'clock. Robert Steinbach, anything uh, eating at your spleen right now? There's an article in the New York Times, an opinion piece by David Brooks, who is generally a conservative. And he goes on to talk about inequality. And he says, well, if your parents spent time with you and taught you and educated you, then guess what? You are likely going to do better than those families that didn't have that environment. Well, no, no kidding. Indeed. And the point that I bring out, is seemingly in contrast with the one where what I thought was a conservative was bringing out. He says, well, we've got to give more government resources to the rest. And what I want to bring out is that family matters. And related to that is no one grows up in an identical situation as the next guy. Everybody has some difference. And of course, there's better and worse. Don't get me wrong. But this notion that we expect everybody to be equal, and to the extent that there's a lack of equality, one, the government needs to step in because government can do everything, Dave. I say sarcastically, of course, right? And secondly, the the notion that if you did not start out at the top, you can't ever make it uh, um, is the premise behind so much of this theory. Don't get me wrong. I agree. It makes things easier. But for example, my background, we grew up, I grew up in working, a working class environment, and both my parents worked. Now, we always, always had a roof over, the, uh, over our heads, and we always had food on the table. We didn't always have a, a warm house because the heat wasn't enough to, to even keep the house warm, uh, and we lived paycheck to paycheck quite often, and yet... The kids worked hard because we were inculcated with the notion that hard work produces outcomes and because we understood ourselves the value of foregoing for today uh, so that you can have for tomorrow. And so I think we need to recognize as a society, and conservatives have been saying this all along, David Brooks veering away from this notwithstanding, that we need to be about individual responsibility and stop saying, oh, well, you know, there's something different. This guy has an extra pair of shoes, so the government needs to step in. 
it's really remarkable how this notion of uniformity has been adopted by those on the left. Guess what? The world will never have a situation where each individual is identical to the next. And that's okay. That's reality. We need to stop the whining. We need to stop the, uh, the minute comparison. Uh, and we need to recognize that we maintain a safety net for individuals, but we don't maintain this board of adjustment where we tweak everybody's individual circumstances. So we wind up uh, with a Harrison Bergeron outcome. That's a reference to a short story in which all individuals, it's obviously uh, 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 apocryphal, uh, uh, where all individuals are the same. And if you're too strong, well, you better carry a bag of weights around so that you're equal to the person who's less strong. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here reading the article uh, as you're speaking, and uh, some of it is interesting in that he said, do you read to your kids before you go to bed, of course? And a lot of parents do that, but a lot of parents don't do that, and he wants to say that's because the parent works at 7-Eleven at night or whatever. I don't care if you work at night. There's other times during the day that you can sit and read to your child. Exactly. I mean, the, exactly. the reading, to, reading to your child uh, argument works well up until, I would say, they're like six years old. And by six years old, by reading to your child, you have you should have moved them to where they can basically read themselves, and then you should be supplying them with reading material and talking to them about it uh, as they get older. I, I think that, well, that that's, a, that's a, a, a stunt article, to be honest with you. Well, and take this, Dave. That is, I'm sure there are people out there who are unable, uh, due to skill, to read to their children. So does that result in that we should be shaming those who are able to do so? Because that's what no. the left off it does. They shame the capable. So I understand. Now we have a population that uh, may need some safety net to help uh, school them. But don't shame the person who spends his time and resources, the parent, him and her, on their children. That's a good yeah. thing. We should be encouraging more of that. Yeah, let me say that I knew and uh, went to school with a lot of kids that uh, were several steps above me in the economic ladder with their families. But I will also say this, that in their families many times, the view of how important education was was not as important as it had been in my family. My father was just a steel worker, had a third grade education. He knew how important education was, and he was on our back constantly and and uh, spurring us on to do better and better and better. And by the time they got to me and I was the last kid, I'm the kid that was taking calculus and trig and, uh, you know, was ready to go on to an Ivy League school if necessary. Uh, this whole thing about, you know, rich parents uh, uh raise up smarter kids i just don't i don't buy it we'll talk more about it we got to take a break when we yep. come back we'll talk about it here on the dave ellswick show robert steinbach my my special guest for the next hour matt smith will join us at eight thirty-five. he'll bring us up to date on what's happening in the movie industry and more importantly riverdale 10 hot springs vip cinema 
Cabot VIP Cinema, Searcy VIP Cinema, and up there in Batesville, uh, their VIP Cinema. All that's coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. For the last hour of Friday show, we've made it through another week. And Robert Steinbach is with me from uh, uh, now until the bottom of the hour. And then he'll continue with us uh, the next half hour. But we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk with Matt Smith along with us to find out where we are with the movie theaters here locally and uh, when we can expect them to probably be opening and when some of those big movies we want to see will be coming out. So let's go back and talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, the whole thing about uh, uh, monetary. uh, You know, if you're a family that has a lot of money, your kids are going to be, you know, uh, you know, great geniuses or something that goes so far. But it, as I was talking to Robert over the break, when we talked to each other while the news is going on and things of that nature, it, look, my dad was a steel worker. He didn't make a lot of money. We're, we're talking back in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, and steel, steel workers, uh, they made a wage, but not a wage that allowed me to go to, to private uh, institutions or anything like that. I'll give you a good example. Here's a story about the Ellswicks. I've got a middle brother, uh, uh, Don, who wanted to go to college, but he wanted to go to Valparaiso. Uh, Valparaiso University, many of you might be familiar with them just because of the miracle shot they made back in the uh, the you know the basketball March Madness, I think it was in the 90s. Uh, the, the coach's son made the shot. Now he's a coach himself. But here's the bottom line. Don wanted to go there. Valparaiso was a private school. My father set my brother down at the kitchen table and said, you know, everybody was called Donnie, Davy, or Johnny. Don't ask me why it is what it was. And uh, Dad looked at, and I remember this because Don was six years older than I was. So, you know, he's looking at college. I'm 12, so I'm uh, listening into the conversation because I'm not that far from uh, that, that point as well. And Dad says, I'll help you as much as I can. But, Donnie, I don't make that kind of money. I can't send you to Valparaiso. I can't pay to get you to uh, to Valparaiso. I can't pay the all the cost of that. Uh, you'll have to go, you need to go to one of the uh, public institutions like Cal, uh, Purdue Calumet or uh, IU, 
uh, over in Hammond or something like that. Or we could even stretch it and maybe you can go down to, to Lafayette, Indiana and go to Purdue or we can send you to Bloomington to IU. And he didn't, he had, he, nothing didn't want to hang him out of He wanted to go to Valparaiso. And because he couldn't go to Valparaiso, Robert, he told my father, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And it was kind of like, despite you, you know, kind of a, F mm-hmm. you kind of thing and, you know, grabbing the back of his teeth and going, you know, kind of thing, an Italian mm-hmm. thing. And uh, he says, okay, well, fine. You can't send me, then I'll go join the Army. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he joined mm-hmm. the Army. Now, he's made a good life for himself. I'm not telling you that. But sure. when, it came to, when it came time for me, I put my nose to the grindstone. And Don had, you know, average grades. I put my nose to the grindstone, and I had superior grades uh, when I was in high school. My father uh, was the man who told me that, uh, you know, uh, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect, and you gotta you gotta be all in. And if you're and he was saying that back in the '60s, man. Well, I didn't have to wait to the '80s to hear that. He was saying you gotta be all in. You gotta put 110 percent into everything. You gotta if you play sports, you leave everything on the field. If you if you want to do what you want to do in uh, you know, education, you got to leave everything, you know, there on the table. You got to do it. You got to, you got to study. And I did. And I, I, I graduated with uh, a little, uh, an A average. I was 13th in my class. I was, I was happy with myself. Uh, I was wanting to, you know, to uh, bring uh, honor to my father because I loved my dad. I knew the family name was important. Same thing for my mom. And uh, and I did well. Now, I broke my mother's heart when I was offered a full ride to Princeton. And I didn't go because I knew I wouldn't fit. And I went down to Moorhead State University and I played baseball for Sonny Allen. I mean, it's, you know, in the, in the Ohio Valley Conference. But I got a good education. I really did. And for 50 years, I've been doing this in, in radio and TV. Uh, but my dad wasn't it, the, the, the whole moral of the story. It was more than money that drove my family. It, it was the ability. You got the ability to do what you want to do if you want to do it. And I took that to heart. Well, Dave, you really tell an important story because what we hear from the left are these, they, they come up with these individual stories that uh, John Smith couldn't send his kids to Harvard, uh, unlike the, the rich kid, and therefore that's unfair. And what we need to understand is that there are different opportunities throughout life for everyone. And while we maintain a, sto- a safety net, There's no guarantee, nor should there be, and nor could there be, that everybody has exactly the same thing as the next guy. My family couldn't afford to pay to send me to an Ivy League school, but I went to one. And I took out hundreds, I went to two actually, I, I took out hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. The rich kid gets that funded by his parent, more power to him. Good for the parent for spending the money on the kid's education rather than buying a third yacht or whatever it may be. So let's stop stigmatizing the rich, criticizing those with abilities, and recognize 
that there are different paths for all of us while maintaining a, a safety net without creating this imaginary notion that everybody is entitled to exactly the same experience in life. Let me tell you, Dave, some of the hardships that I uh, had to overcome uh, as a consequence of wealth or lack of wealth as a child and as a, a young adult is what made me the person that I am today. Now, May, the rich kid would say, well, he had different experiences. So there are benefits and there are costs to almost every environment in which kids grow up in. And let's not start making a checklist. Don't get me wrong. You grow up homeless. I can't. I, it's hard for me to imagine any of the benefits of that. But that's yeah. what the social safety net is for. But once you get above some point in that uh, spectrum, let's not. Uh, continue this leftist ideology of a checklist of, well, if you didn't get this from your parents, big government's going to provide it. First of all, we can't expect that everybody has an identical upbringing. And secondly, big government is a fallacy. It doesn't work. It, it is unsustainable. And we see that in all of the communist collapse across the last century. Of course, yeah. you know, what the left is saying in response to that, oh, well, they just didn't get it right. But we got the magic formula. Yeah, well, here's the key, Robert, and I'll see if you agree with me on this or not, because we're getting into that area of, of uh, you know, to, to prove this out, there's been studies now that have shown that what I'm basically, what I'm going to say, not even basically, that what I'm going to say is true. The family structure is more important to what kids do with their lives than what the government does for kids 100%. to allow them to do something with their lives. That My father, uh, being the man that he was, that I had all the uh, belief in and was proud of him because he stayed out at that mill and he worked every day, uh, typically working seven days a week so that we could have uh, with all of our, uh, you know, direction by him. That had an effect upon us as kids. You want your kids to be successful, folks? Push them. You've right. got to well, push them. I'm not saying beat them or anything like that. No. Push them. Make them want to do it so that they'll, you'll smile at them, put your arm around them, tell them how much you love them, and say, great job, son, or great do uh, job, daughter. That, fix them up to understand those are the things that you fight for and, and work for. And if you want government involved, as the left always does, why don't you have government get involved in simply spreading the message that graduating high school uh, and then getting married before you have kids, meaning those three things in that order, graduate high school, only thereafter, get married, only thereafter, have kids as part of a family unit, uh, that will be the best gift that you can give to your children. I yes. understand that things happen and that plan can be thwarted. But if government wants to do something, spread the message that that should be a goal. We can't yeah, always achieve our goals, but that is the recipe for the success of people's children. Let me Graduate tell you what. High school, 
get married and then have your kids. You might you might not get be able to send your kid to an eastern co- uh, coast school. You might be only able to send them to U of A or UCA or or ASU or Arkansas Tech or whatever. But they can get There's a good education. That's right. They can get a good education there and That's move right. on. Because what's Harvard reaped for us? Take a look at our gar our our government. That's from Harvard. Uh, graduates. I mean, everybody makes it seem like if you go to Harvard, somehow you're a special person. No, you're not. No, you're not. How hard did you work when you were at Harvard? Asked I, if he was still asked. Ask Ted Kennedy that question. I spoke to Will Bond's father, who's really a wonderful gentleman, and he said to me. They've got a lot of knowledge at our schools here so that when a student shows up, he's not going to be wanting for information, for knowledge, for education. So keep that in mind. Now, I'm not dissuading people from going to the school of their choice. And if that is Harvard or some other uh, East Coast school, I went to a bunch of East Coast school, so be it. Uh, But with that said, there's plenty of good education to be had here in Arkansas and other non-east coast state yeah we got to get a break in i went to moorhead state university in moorhead kentucky because i wanted to play baseball as well as go to school and uh, i was able to do that for a year and a half before i blew up my arm but i got a great education at moorhead state not one of the biggest uh probably didn't hit the top 500 in usa today to be honest with you but i got a great education with them nonetheless and now i can sit down and you put a harvard grad across from me and you want we want to talk uh, media and how to um, you know make it work i can hold my own against them I mean, I don't have any problem with that at all. Can I talk no brain doubt. surgery? No, but I didn't study brain surgery. They did. All right, a break, 19 minutes after 8. Dave Ellswick Show here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, back, and uh, let's talk about something that's it's starting now to really uh, grab the, the press's uh, attention. Uh, they've moved beyond just... Uh, corona, you know, COVID-19 and and repeating the same stories over and over again and uh, starting to look forward some. I mean, here's here's the big news story. I know we're going we're going to talk about this whole thing about VP, but here's the big story. Biden comes out, uh, Robert, and says, you know, I've heard I've heard that uh, the president wants to move the November election back. I've heard he's not saying from whom he heard. Right. Uh, was it a, you know, a substantial the, source or anything? The voices no, in I've his heard. head. Maybe it's the voices in his head. Maybe. Yeah, that's what I think it is, to be honest, because yeah. the president hasn't talked about it uh, in any way, shape or form yet. But here's the other story that's big out there. Biden has said he's going to pick a woman running mate. However, he didn't throw one other caveat in. Uh, that uh, so many people want to hear him say. Not only will I pick a woman as a running mate, I will pick a woman of color. He hasn't specified it to that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's just this is the the left, right? Once they start down the path of identity politics, there's no ending it, right? Yeah, it's like like Alice down the, you know, the hole. I mean, that's that's the rabbit hole. 
Stacey Abrams, the one who lost the governorship in Georgia, uh, said it's not good enough uh, to pick uh, only uh, a woman. Um, she's uh, now uh, actively pushing that Biden should be picking her and says that she would have concerns if Biden didn't choose a woman of color. That's the thing. And then, well, you know, and the next person says, well, it needs to be a woman. It needs to be a woman of color. Maybe it needs to be a, a disabled woman of color. They just keep going down this list of identity politics. And by the way, so far, you know what I haven't heard? How about somebody who is the most qualified? Oh, well, that doesn't that matter. Why, Dave, they would say to you. That's implied. Really? Yeah. Really? Because... All of these boxes that the left demands you check uh, consistently restricts the ability to choose someone based on, I dare say it, Dave, I dare say it, merit? To the left, merit is code word, you see, for white male. That's just white male talk right there. That's racism. That's racism. And, of course, there are plenty uh, of candidates who are not white men uh, who are highly qualified for many positions. So it's not code word for anything. But the left has turned this whole notion on its head. We saw this in an, in an article. We I think we discussed it on your show already. There's some uh, highfalutin school that makes you go through this dance of telling them your commitment to diversity plans before they even look at your credentials. That is before, Dave, they look at your credentials. So merit takes second chair to this mm-hmm. identity politics of the left. Uh, good yeah. luck. Good luck. I agree. I agree. I mean, the two names that keep coming up, Kamala Harris and now Stacey Abrams. And Stacey Abrams is, for me, uh, when I was going to school, we'd call her the ultimate brown noser. She's got her nose so far up other people's anal canals, uh, not because she knows things uh, that would bring something to the party. Uh, Hey, I... uh, It's who I know. And you want me because I happen to be a black woman and I ran uh, for governor of Georgia. Lost now, I'll grant you, but I ran for it. Uh, You see, I'm a black woman and I've got ideas, may not be the ideas at work, uh, but I've got ideas and I'm a black woman. See, that's what it all all rests upon her whole world her own her own political philosophy rests on she's a black woman and that's the claim of the leftists so often which is start with identity and then talk about ideas and by the way according to the left dave you and i can't have uh, many of the good ideas that are out there because our pigment and our plumbing prevents us from doing so we are biologically according to the left mind you uh prohibited or at least incapable of i should say even having those thoughts okay with that said okay yeah, with that said, you hold that. We'll pick yes, this subject up again uh, coming in 
on Monday because you'll be with me from 7 until 9, and we'll be open to talk about that. Right now, though, Sean Hannity joins us on the Dave Ellswick Show. We are ready for the last 24 minutes of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Friday. Matt Smith joins us. He is the the owner of the VIP Cinemas here across central Arkansas. I've known Matt now for 18 years, I believe, and it was so funny. I was just talking to Robert Steinbach, and uh, Matt's been listening into the show uh, this morning, and he was uh, enjoying the conversation dealing with uh, family and how important family is to your kids doing in school and, and things of that nature. And uh, I've, I've watched Matt, to be honest, a guy that just got to start getting into business and building his businesses and, and being just exactly what most people wouldn't think a businessman looks like. He looks like a, you know, a speed metal freak, and yet uh, he is one of the most conservative business people I have ever sat down and talked with, and you've heard him talk here about business on the Dave Ellswick Show. But, you know, he liked to hear what we were saying about family because he went from being party boy, I'm going to be honest, all right, he, he was still running his business correctly, but he was party boy. He had, he had a lot of toys that he played with. And a lot of sound systems that he had in those toys. But then his first child was born. And I'm telling you, it was an epiphany for him about how important family was. He shifted, ge- he shifted gears, Robert. I'm just telling you, he shifted gears totally. I'm not saying that he started driving. I'm not saying that he started driving a minivan. <laughs> Even, he wouldn't have been able to do that. But I'm just saying you know, he he really got serious about taking care of his family. Well, let's 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 define party though, because some people have a misconnotation okay. to that word. Yeah, you don't drink, uh, you don't do drugs or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking. No, about. no, no. I I don't. Uh, no smoking. No drinking. Uh, no drugs. Uh, newsflash, marijuana is a drug, people. Uh, no alcohol, <laughs> you know, no mm. cigarettes, none of that. You know, I, I always wanted to get out and do adventures. I was, um, you know, more of an adrenaline person. That was kind of my thing. There so, you go. He's an adrenaline you know, junkie. You are like, yes. you're yes. just exactly like the Motor City Madman. That was definitely my thing. You know, riding motorcycles, skydiving, wakeboarding, water skiing, uh, you know, drag racing cars. I mean, that was that was definitely my uh, blowing off steam entertainment for sure. Playing guitar, that kind of thing. You know, definitely, definitely doing all that for fun for sure, for sure. But yeah, you guys were talking about um, just uh, just the misconceptions and the problems there. I mean, the the issues that people have. It, you know, it's it's not really the government. It's just real, real bad personal decisions. Um, that's that's the issue. There's there's really there's really no secret to to success in the United States. People ask me this question all the time, um, and and you know if you're in America, you have an equal opportunity to be successful, to acquire things that billions of people across the globe don't have the chance to acquire: nice home, nice car, nice education, a good life. How do you do that? Uh, it's got nothing <clears throat> got nothing to do with what zip code you live in. Got nothing to do with that. How do you do these things? It's real simple. No drugs, no cigarettes, no alcohol, no gambling. Do not 
even have the thought process of marriage cross your mind until you're over 30 years of age. Do not consider having a child until you are 35. Now, what do you do between birth and 35? Go to work every day that you can go to work. That includes Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, Halloween, Easter. If there's a place open where you can get a paycheck to work, go there. Go to school every day that you get an opportunity to go to school until you get something beyond a bachelor's degree. Get you a master's degree. Get you a JD. Get you a PhD. Make sure it's a marketable skill. Don't borrow $200,000 to get a a master's degree in social work that's going to pay you $20,000 a year. You know, don't do that. Those are the keys. If you look around at everybody whose life has failed, no matter what their religion, race, color, or creed is, they got a drug problem, a drinking problem, an alcohol problem, some type of, of, of gambling problem, had a kid too young, got married too young, followed that with a started a divorce and a started bankruptcy. Okay? Mm. So don't do those six things. Do the other two. Go to work, go to school. Nobody wants to hear that, okay? But that's the truth, guys. That's the truth. Yeah, they're, they're, I always hear it from my kid. But when do I have fun? And I look at them, and I, and I, I, I always say some things that I always said I never say but that my father told me. And uh, he used to look at me and said, whoever mm-hmm. told you life was fun? I, I, That's I what my father tells fun. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, do you, when do you have fun? Well, you know, like your guest was saying earlier, let's not get 5,000, uh, you know, carts in front of the horse, right? Finish high yep. school. Finish college. Get a job. That's a successful career. Get a checking account and a savings account and get you a a 401K and get you a car and a house. Then worry about what your partner is going, who who your partner is going to be, right? Worry about that then because guess what? Now you've got a whole lot of choices, you know? You've got a whole lot of choices then. You've got a whole lot of choices. And that's when you go out and you have fun, you know? Yeah. You know what's funny, Robert, is this is the stuff that he preaches at the people who work for him at his different cinemas, which are a lot of younger people that are looking to make some extra money and they don't have any problem scooping some popcorn and, uh, you know, pouring a beer and making some cheese sticks or whatever while people are going in to see a movie. Uh, they want to get ahead in the world, and they're working at getting ahead of the world. So it's always fun. It's fun for me especially to listen to Matt because I have known him for so long. And this, well, You, you and this, go to those cinemas, you see those kids. And, yeah. you know, if you're one of those top ten young people out there working at one of those locations, you've got it together. If you don't, you're not going to survive in that culture. The other people there are not going to, you know, show up to work late, you're not on the team anymore. Can't wear the correct uniform, not on the team anymore. You know, they're not going to tolerate those types of things because, you know, we've selected the top ten kids in the county to be in that spot. And it takes a lot to make that great, you know. And, yeah, we're handing out Zig Ziglar and Anthony Robbins and Stephen Covey books and talking to them about (laughs) that because, you know, you're going to get, you know, English and algebra or whatever at school. But some – you know, some of what you need, you're going to have to, or rather, a lot of what you need, you're going to have to get on your own. I mean, you're going to have to educate yourself. 
And, and you know, that motivation and that drive and that determination, you're going to have to hunt that down. You're going to have to hunt down the good news. You have to get motivated. You have to get your life in order. Nobody, you know, the, you know, you talk about the left or the government or whatever, nobody could do that for you. You've got to pull that out of yourself, and you've got to educate yourself. Yeah, you know, it, right. it, it's, it's on, on those things, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a lot of it is on you. <clears throat> All right. I just shifted. Rate, talking about that I, staff, you that's know? right. I just shifted out of fourth gear down to seventh, uh, second, and I'm I'm moving the wheel into another lane, and now we'll start pulling it up again. I'm going to give you two minutes. Where are you at reopening? Want to reopen? My staff wants to go to work. They want to be there. Uh, everybody's sick of being at home. Uh, we've been forced in a lockdown by, for six weeks now. Uh, people tired of it. You know, here, here's my thinking on it. If you're sick, stay at home. If uh, you uh, are afraid of the coronavirus, stay at home. If you've got a high-risk person in your family, stay at home. If you are a high-risk person, stay at home. If a business opens and you don't want to go there, don't go. Real simple. Just like life was six weeks ago. If there was a business out there that was open and you didn't want to go to that business, you didn't have to. So that's the same thing now. If a bowling alley opens up and you don't feel like it's safe to go bowling, don't go bowling. Okay? If Chili's opens back up and you don't feel like it's safe to eat a meal at Chili's, don't go to Chili's. Right? Yeah. So, you know, that, that that's how I feel about that. Obviously, there's going to be precautions in place. The federal government and the state of Arkansas is coming out with guidelines that each one of these businesses have to adhere to. And if they adhere to those guidelines, they should be allowed to open. And then you, as an individual American, can make the decision as to whether you want to go there or not. That's the thing about it, right? If the government forces you to close and forces you to stay at home and forces you not to open up your business, that's one thing. On the other hand, choices, that's what America is about, right? If you own a business and you don't think that business should be open, guess what, my brother? Don't open your business, right? Right. Keep it closed. Keep it closed. There's a difference in you deciding to keep your business closed over virus concerns as opposed to your business has to be closed because the governor or the president has said it has to be closed, right? All right. We've got to take a break. That's my – okay, let's talk about that some more when we come back. We'll talk about it when we come back. Robert, stick with us. I'm doing it. It's, it's hard for either one of us to get a word in edgewise, but that's all oh, right. We got Matt 20 Smith, minutes, man. <laughs> Matt Smith is our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He is the owner of all the VIP cinemas that you see across central Arkansas. He'll continue to be with us when we return at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Okay, back on the Dave yes, Ellswick Show. Final segment, man. This is the final segment of this whole week. We've had <laughs> what, a total of uh, 15 hours of fresh content this week. Every hour is something different on the Dave Ellswick Show. And I have great guests like Robert Steinbach, who's a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law. Of course, his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily uh, the Bowen School of Law or the, the university. If they were, the university would be in better financial shape. And then you got Matt Smith with us, a man who's got an MBA, runs movie theaters all across central Arkansas and does it. Uh, and makes money at it, and is, I think, a real uh, 
you know, shining light for young people about how to do it and how to get it right uh, from the get-go. And all the other people that we have here with, you know, J.R. Davis and everybody else who joins me. I surround myself with geniuses. I really do. That's what I do. I, I, don't, I don't know a, a ton about how to run a movie theater. You know what I know? I know when the popcorn tastes good and when the movie is good. That's what I know. Well, hey, I, I, I appreciate the on. kind words. I do. I appreciate the kind words. And, and, and I, you know, we were talking about businesses opening back up. I mean, you know, that's that's the thing. If a business opens back up and, and you work there and you don't want to go back to work, stay at home and draw that unemployment check. You know, government send it to you. Stay there, right? But if people want to go to work, they should be able to do that. Uh, as far as opening back up the cinemas or, or opening back up businesses um, around Arkansas, everyone is sitting around waiting on the governor to tell them what to do. Uh, he's, he's supposed to announce on April the 29th, uh, you know, if, if, if dining restaurants can open on the 4th and what they got to do. Then on April the 30th, he's going to talk about barbershops and salons and what they can do. And, and on down the list, everybody's waiting to find out what, who, who he's going to allow to open and what he's going to require them to do so that they can see if they can be open. You know, that's the thing. Get the information out there. Give people a choice. Give business owners a choice as to whether they want to go in and whether they want to open or not. And then, you know, the people can decide whether they want to go or not. You know, uh, that, that's, that's the thing. Uh, my staff wants to pop some popcorn and show some movies, you know. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be uh, limited as to what we can do because there's not a lot of film content uh, in the pipeline right now. But uh, I'd like to open, show some classic movies, some library titles, uh, some some older films, and some films that came out in uh, 2020. Uh, get those on the screen and give people an opportunity to come if they want to. Uh, it will allow my staff members to work that want to work. Um, and my staff members that don't want to work and want to come back later in June or July or August, we're going to allow them to do that. Uh, the people that want to come up there and work, they can. Uh, if you want to come out and see a movie, if they let us open, we're going to provide that for you, and we're going to follow all of the guidelines. Uh, give us a chance to, to be open. Uh, we've been shut down for six weeks now. Uh, so, you know, that's what we want to do, and, and I've got a lot of staff members that, that, that want to do that. They don't want to be at home. So um, would like to have some guidelines and some choices, and I think the vast majority of business owners uh, want to do that. And I know Georgia and Tennessee and Kentucky, Colorado, um, South Carolina, businesses are opening in those states. Um, yeah, the last Monday, heard, you may have Monday, more information Texas. on that. I think nine states were opening up fairly quickly in the next week. Yeah, Monday, Texas opens. Good deal, good deal. Matt, what are you guys going to do in terms of – is it, excuse me, social distancing or whatever it may be, when you open up to, uh, for safety purposes? Right. Well, um, you know, common sense things we're going to clean. You know, obviously we'll have uh, cash registers six feet apart. Uh, obviously we'll have uh, people apart as they come in the door, space between people, put some tape on the floor to show them where to stand. Um, of course, the staff will wear masks, the staff will wear gloves, things like that. But a lot of what we're going to do will depend on what the governor says. Uh, you know, he really hasn't said what he wants, uh, if he allows indoor dining restaurants to reopen, what he's going to require them um, to do. 
Uh, I've heard from um, some back channels that um, when they allow those indoor dining restaurants to open, they're going to allow just 25% of the previous seating capacity. So whatever your seating capacity was before you were closed due to the virus, you'll only be allowed to have 25% of that in the building. And you've got to have tables six feet apart, things like that. Now, that's that's a back-channel source for me. Uh, you know, obviously that could change in the next week, even if that's something that they're considering doing. So, you know, we're kind of at a, at a limit other than common sense things. Stand six feet apart, wear gloves, wear a mask clean everything often all the time we're kind of at a hold beyond that on what we can do and how to go about doing it until the governor says right so you right. know he's supposed to issue guidelines you know so if you're a supposedly suppose there's going to be some guidelines for churches and guidelines for indoor dining and guidelines for a barbershop waiting to hear as is everybody else all right I wanted to ask, I'm mm-hmm. going to name some big movies. Can you yep. tell us where when they're going to open? Now? Sure, sure. All right. Godzilla versus King Kong. Okay. Uh, let me see here. I'll, 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 let me look at my list here. Um, first big movie of the of the year that's supposed to be huge is Tenet. It's scheduled July 17th. Okay. Uh, Mulan has moved to July 24th. Uh, the SpongeBob movie has moved to August 7th. Uh, let's see here. Wonder Woman has moved to August 14th. Okay. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Journey, Bill and Ted Face the Music, moved to August 21st. Uh, let's see here. Um, A Quiet Place 2, September 4th. Okay. Uh, the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, September the 11th. Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, September 18th. Uh, Candyman has moved to September 25th. Uh, let's see. Now, you know, Top Gun has moved to, uh... 21, right? Top Gun has moved to, uh, December 23rd. Oh, it's going to still make 2020, okay. December 23rd, yes. Uh, let's see. Black Widow, November 6th. Uh, they moved Peter Rabbit 2 to, uh, January. Uh, Ghostbusters has moved to March. Yeah, next year. Uh, let's see here. Um, Thor is now, uh, let's move it about a year. Let me see here. Um, there's still a few titles uh, in June that haven't moved yet. They're lesser titles. Irresistible from Focus Features is still set for May 29th. Uh, Greenland from STX is still set for June 12th. Uh, Fatal from Lionsgate, set for June 19th. Uh, the King of Staten Island from Universal, June the 19th. So those are okay. still set in June. They may or may not move, depending on, you know, uh, what happens. Opening up and seeing how it goes. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, so, so I just I just uh, got a message that uh, Godzilla versus Kong, November 20th yes, is what they're yes. looking at. Yes. Uh, yeah, and like you and I talked about last week, they're going to take the July and August films, move them to no, the big ones, move them to November and December, take the big November, December films, move them to next year, and they're going to take these films that were supposed to go in March, April, May, uh, move them to July and August, you know? All right. All right. So well, listen. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We're about we're out of time, Matt. We'll get you back on next week. Look forward to talking to you then. You have a good week, and hopefully – You'll get to turn on the lights again and start popping that popcorn again because I want to eat some. 
Thank you. Have a good All weekend. Right. Be safe. Talk. All right, man. Thank you very much. Let's go back to Robert. He's with us. Robert, I'll see you on uh, Monday. I won't see you, but I'll talk to you on Monday mm-hmm. starting in the 7 o'clock hour. And we're going to pick up with uh, Biden says he's going to, uh, you know, name a female as his vice president. Uh, we'll see who it might be. We'll talk about who it might be. And is he going to get enough pushback that it will be a black female? Is he going to fall into the politically correct camp? We'll talk about that uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show. Always a pleasure, Robert. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. God bless. All right. We'll talk to you later. Robert Steinbach. His opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the School of Law or U of A here in Little Rock. I'm Dave Ellswick. I'll talk to you on the Car and Truck Doctors tomorrow, but I'll be back on Monday at 6 a.m.